Good morning. My, it's not up there anymore, but <clears throat> my family is especially grateful for kids' praise. We love kids' praise. One of my, uh, one of my favorite things to do every night before I preach uh, is, and I haven't preached in a while, and now my three-year-old's doing kids' praise. So last night I told Brand, I said, hey, Brand, we're sitting there at dinner. I said, hey, I'm preaching tomorrow, bud. I said, so you're you're going to skip kids' praise and stay and listen to me preach, right? He said, no way, Dad. No way. We love kids' praise. So our church wants to be an intergenerational church. We believe that a love first church is an intergenerational church. We believe that's the way of Jesus. We believe that is the way that church works. So we're in the middle of this little two-part series called A Give and Take Faith. Last week, Kyle kicked us off talking about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So, quick story there. The Ethiopian eunuch travels 2,000 miles to figure out who is this Jewish God? Who is Jesus? Who is this one everybody is talking about? And God does what God still does. He leads someone to the Ethiopian eunuch to explain who he is. And that person is Philip. And he leads Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip opens the scriptures and explains them to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what we talked about last week is that faith is not a solitary exercise. We need Phillips in our lives that we can take our hard questions to, that we can seek help, that we can reach out to for spiritual help. We need those Phillips in our lives. And this means a lot to me for a lot of different reasons, but it's especially powerful for me because This is a place where I can look around this room and see so many of my Phillips. This is a church I grew up in. And so I look around this room and I see so many men and women who I have taken my questions to. Who I have sought out in times of help. When I needed lots and lots of help. And so I can remember when I was a 16 year old needing 70-year-old Billy Burr to reach out to and take my questions to and take so much of his wisdom and faith from. That today, as a student minister here, I know that my 16-year-olds continue to this day to need the Phillips that are in this room to take their questions to, to seek out and find faith and help and wisdom and advice. That as a father here today with my three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old sons, I need the Phillips that are in this room. They can take their questions too and seek out and find faith. We want to be an intergenerational church. We believe that we need each other's incredible gifts. So last week Kyle asked, who do you have that you are asking for help? This week we're going to flip it. What do you have to give? To give and take faith. What do you have to give? As you look in the mirror, as you look at your life, your time, your resources, your gifts, your talents, what do you have to give? One of the Phillips in my life is a man named Landon Saunders. If you've heard me talk, you've probably heard me talk about him. And Landon tells this story about a student who is going in to take the final in a class called ornithology. I didn't know what that meant. That's a study of birds. 
So he has studied all the resources. He's read all the material. He is ready for this final on the study of birds. So he goes into the class for his final. Professor hands out the exam. As you do when you get that exam, you kind of skim through it. He skims through it, and he realizes that the entire final consists of pictures of bird feet. And he is supposed to identify the bird based on the bird feet. And he realizes he didn't study that. He studied lots of things, but he did not spend any time studying bird feet. And so he takes his final, he wraps it up, folds it up, gets up, gives it to the professor, walks out of the room. And the good preacher story is, as he's walking out of the room, he didn't even put his name on it. The professor yells at him and says, Who, what's your name? And the sarcastic student raises his leg, raises his pant leg, and says, you tell me. <laughs> and he walks out of the room. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 14 this morning. Matthew chapter 14. I have a trivia question for you as you're turning there. Uh, I figured this out this week, or stumbled upon this this week. There's one story from the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. That's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only one story outside of the crucifixion. There's only one story from the life and teachings and ministry of Jesus that's found in all four of the Gospels. And it's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the Temptations. It's not the parable of the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son or the Great Commandment or the Great Commission. The story that's recorded in all four of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. We find it here in Matthew 14. It's in Mark 6, Luke chapter 9. And even John gets in on the action. It's recorded in John chapter 6. Feeding of 5,000. It's a cool story, a story I think about a lot, like a cool VBS story. Uh, but maybe there's more meaning there than we realize. So in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is with the crowds. He's healing people. The disciples come to him and say, they're hungry, we need some food. And Jesus takes the five loaves, he breaks the bread, and then he feeds the 5,000. And that's just the men. There's, so he, he fed a lot, a lot, a lot of people with five loaves. And then if you look at the next chapter, chapter 15, so go to Matthew 15, verse 29, we see a similar story. And one of the things that I love about our church is we try to read Scripture through the lens of love, story, and wisdom. And if you read it through the lens of story, you see sometimes a rhythm to the text. You see sometimes a pattern to the text. And we're going to see that this morning. So Matthew 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Matthew 15, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. 
His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. Oftentimes, when I am reading Scripture, and I hope this is your experience as well, uh, oftentimes when I am reading Scripture, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I will be reading a story of Jesus, and I read it, and I just, I'm just amazed. Like, I literally, I just have to put my Bible down and sit there and go, Jesus is amazing. Like, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And then in the very next chapter, he sees a huge crowd of needy, hungry, wanting people. And he has compassion on them. He sees people that we don't see. He sees people that most people ignore. And he spends three days with them again, healing them, healing them, healing them. And then after three days, these needy, wanting, hungry people are still needy and wanting and hungry again. And they say, we don't have anything to eat. And Jesus, instead of going, didn't I just do this? I am worn out and tired. When are they ever going to stop asking? No, instead, he says, we got to feed these people. We, we have to. They'll collapse on the way. We have to feed them. And he feeds them. Jesus is amazing. Uh, don't, don't ever become numb to the amazing reality of who Jesus was and the life that he lived and the love that he gave. Uh, I love stories. I love watching biographies. There is no one like Jesus. Don't ever become numb to Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 39. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat, went to the vicinity of Magadon. Let's keep reading. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to him and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. <clears throat> a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood 
that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you have this miscommunication between Jesus and the disciples. Uh, Jesus, as he often does, uses everything as a teaching moment. And so he's just had this conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's telling them, it's not a sign that you need. I've given you lots of signs. You refuse to see the sign. You refuse to see that I am the Messiah. You refuse to see that I am starting a new kingdom. And Jesus uses this as a teaching moment for the disciples to say, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like, watch out for that way of thinking that you will become close to who I am and what I am doing. Watch out for that. And what do the disciples do? They, they completely miss the point. And they say, he's talking about bread again. It made me think this week, uh, my three-year-old, Brant, we were sitting uh, at our table for breakfast. It looks out into the backyard and Brant goes, Dad, I don't see any girls in the backyard. And uh, Brant, if you've been around, he talks nonstop. And it's, sometimes it's hard to respond. And, but that, I, I said, you don't, you don't see any girls in the backyard? He said, Dad, I don't see any girls in the backyard. And I said, you don't see any squirrels in the backyard. He said, Dad, I don't see any squirrels in the backyard. Okay, we're tracking, we're tracking. Jesus, I think, in verse 8, kind of has this moment. Like he, It says he becomes aware of their discussion, and he goes, Wait, you, why do you think I'm talking about having no bread? Why, why are the disciples worried about not having any bread? I was thinking about this. If there was ever a time in the history of mankind to not be worried about having no bread, it's right here. You've just seen this guy take five loaves and feed 5,000. You've just seen this guy take seven loaves and feed 4,000. And you're worried about bread? So here's a question. Why do the disciples not understand? Why do they not understand? I love what Tim Mackey says. Tim Mackey is the guy behind the Bible Project videos that we watched a lot last year. Uh, he's, he's so wise. He says... He thinks the disciples misunderstood Jesus because they were operating out of a scarcity mindset. So there's a lot about scarcity mindset we're not going to get into this morning. Uh, but the basic premise is when you operate out of a scarcity mindset, you fixate on what you don't have. You see the world through your limited resources and you're constantly afraid, I'm going to run out. I am not going to have enough. The disciples are operating out of a scarcity mindset. And Jesus is always operating out of an abundance mindset. Jesus sees the world through this lens of there will always be enough. So why is this story in the Bible so often? The feeding of the 5,000. Why is it in here so often? I think on some level, Jesus is trying to tell us, trust God. There will always be enough. Don't give in to that scarcity mindset. This morning, I started us with the wrong question on purpose. 
Because I think it's the question that we start out with often. It's the question I started this week out with. What do I have to give? And we know this. Most of the time, if you start off with the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. That's why it's so important to deal with the wrong question. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I started this week and I said, what do I have to give? My response was, I don't have much. Like, I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we got jobs and grad school and clinicals, and we got basketball, and then there's baseball, and then soccer's coming, and we have bills, and we have cars that kind of run, and I got my fence that has pickets down and needed to replace a year ago. Like, I don't have much to give. It is so easy to operate out of a scarcity mindset. To look around at everything and go, I don't have time, I don't have energy, I'm not ready, I don't have anything to give. I came across this, this quote this week, this, this lady said, the source of the feeding is God, but the resource is human. The source of the feeding is God, but the resource is human. Hear this, our resources are limited, but our God is limitless. Our resources are limited, but our God is limitless. If the source of the feeding is God, we have enough. So remember that random story I told you about the bird feet? He had studied everything except for the bird feet. And I think sometimes in our lives, in our faith, we look at everything but God. We look at our lives and our busyness and our our sin and our schedules and everything that's going on, and we say, I, don't, I have nothing to give. I don't have anything to give. And we forget to look at the source. And if God is the source, whatever we have to give is enough. You only have five loaves today. That's enough. This week, you only have seven loaves to give. That's enough. So I want to end this morning by just trying to be really, really practical. I'll give you three things. What does it look like to live out this give and take faith? First, be open to giving. Be open to giving. If, if we operate out of a scarcity mindset, we will naturally be closed to giving, right? Because we see the world through our limits. We don't have enough. I, like, I don't have enough bread in my house. How on earth am I going to feed 5,000? And so we are naturally closed to giving. Be open to giving. Like, like when you hear uh, Doyle or our church talk about Mission Central, we, we believe every gift matters. We want everyone to sign up and give their gift. It is easy to go, not, not right now, not, not in this season, not with what I am going through right now. Maybe when we get through this, when, when I get the kids out of the house, when we get this thing situated, settled, then I can give. It's easy to be closed. You, when you hear someone talk about, we want, we want every woman to be a part of this heartfelt friends ministry. And you go, that sounds really good, but not, not right now. Like, I, I don't have time. I'm just trying to make it through the day, make it through this week, keep everyone somewhat happy in our house. Like, I'm just trying to make it not right now. It's so easy to operate out of a scarcity mindset. I remember I had a professor in college, I may have told you this before, And he said every morning he prayed this prayer. 
God, who are you going to bring into my life today? God, who are you going to bring into my life today? What, that is an open posture to give your gifts away. And he prayed it every day, not just when he had margin. He prayed it every day. Busy days, stressful days, hard days. God, who are you going to bring into my life to give? I, I, uh, I was thinking this week that that meme is a bumper sticker t-shirt. You see it a lot. Uh, people say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. I like that. But I was thinking this week, I wonder how often we say, not today, God. Not today, God. Like, I'm just trying to make it through today, make it through this week, make it through this season. Not today. But what if we were open to giving? We said, God, who are you going to bring into my life today that I can give my five loaves to? Second thing, every gift is good. We have to stop looking down on our gifts. What you have to give is good because the God who made you is good. What you have to give is good because the God who made you is good. When we look down on our, li- on our gifts, we look down on the one who made us. What you have to give matters because the God who made you says that you matter. An intergenerational church is built on the belief that every gift is good. It's how church works. We, we live in a celebrity culture where we prioritize and idolize these gifts that get attention. And it's bled into the church. That we, we prioritize and idolize the gifts that get attention. The ones who can preach or teach or sing or lead or whatever. And the Bible is pretty clear. Jesus is pretty clear. Every gift matters. Um, I was thinking about this. Brian, next week, is kicking off this series, Loneliness Pandemic. We want everyone to come so they can hear about the incredible love of God. And Brian will take care of the gift of preaching. But he cannot, he's not good enough at the gift of inviting to invite every single one of your friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. Maybe this week, this is your five loaves. You give this to your friends, your family, your co-workers. Maybe your gift is prayer. There's a group that gathers every Sunday morning and prays and prays and prays. I believe those gifts are changing our church. I'm not just saying that. Your gift matters. Every gift matters. Prayer, encouraging, inviting, whatever it is, your gift matters. Next thing. Last thing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In Acts chapter 20, Paul quotes Jesus. We don't know where Paul is quoting Jesus from, but we trust Paul. <laughs> and Paul says it is more, that Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is something that happens and can only happen when you give. It is easy to get stuck in a consumer mindset and just take, take, take. You can watch all those videos on Right Now Media. You can listen to all the sermons on podcasts. You can read through your Bible every year, and that is good. And yet you will still miss the thing that happens when we give. It's so easy to get stuck in a consumer mindset. I I love um, 
what the 12 steps says. So in, in recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous have 12 steps. The last step is to give. Now that you have received this, now that you have done this work, give it to someone else. Because here's what happens. When you give, you are partnering with God. And when you partner with God, you will be blessed. So much of taking it, it's just transactional. And we, we need God's grace. It transforms us. But so much of taking is just transactional. And when we begin to give, no matter how busy, crazy our lives are, when we begin to give, we partner with God. We enter into a partnership with God. And it will be a blessing. It's crazy that God wants to partner with us. <laughs> but he does. And he invites us into it. And so when you feel those forces saying, not today, not this week, not this season. I got too much going on. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. It, uh, not today. When you feel those forces pulling in on you, causing you not to give, resist those forces and remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to ask our elders and ministers, if they would, take their places uh, around the church, get up, move to their places. And I'll put these questions up here. Uh, I hope you'll take a picture of this, talk about this at lunch. You talking about this at lunch, journaling about this today, tomorrow, will be much more fruitful than listening to me. Are you living out of a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset? Do you believe that you have gifts to give that are good? If not, why? Are you open to giving? If not, what are the reasons why you are currently not open to giving your gifts to God and the church? What do you have to give? I'm not sure. But I, here's what I know. You have something to give. If the resource is good, if the resource is God, if the tomb is still empty, if Jesus Christ is still on the throne, we do not operate out of a scarcity mindset. Each day be open to giving. Stop questioning what you have to give. Find a way to give and you will be blessed. Look at the source not the resource. Have a bird feet faith. Let's pray. God, we look at our resources and we quickly give up. We look at our lives. We feel overwhelmed. God, this, this morning, give us more faith. Give us such a courageous faith that we will partner with you this week. We will take our five loaves, our one loaf, whatever it is. We will take it and we will give it to you. Because you are good. God, help us to trust in you. To remember how good you are. To enter into faith. And to give the gifts that you have given us for your glory, for your church, for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.